Thank you for taking time to listen to this message from New Life United Methodist Church. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. We invite you to join us for worship each Saturday evening beginning at 5.30. New Life is located at 8301 Mitchell Road in McChesney Park, Illinois. For information on New Life or our ministries, go to findnewlifeumc.org. You can also send financial contributions to New Life UMC, P.O. Box 2034, Loves Park, Illinois, 61030. To honor copyright laws, some audio portions may have been removed. Again, thank you for listening. About their ministry uh, and the ministry of Just Goods, and uh, they have some items um, out there that I encourage you to uh, peruse and uh, look at, and they'll tell you where they're located too. Uh, although we have talked about it here in the last few weeks, so hopefully uh, you know that already. I just want to remind you before we begin that tonight is Taste of New Life. Uh, we do also have planning team this Monday. Uh, we didn't have it last Monday, so this Monday, and we are working on our chili supper silent auction on the 25th, so we have a lot to go over, uh, and uh, we have tickets and letters for donations and all that stuff here tonight uh, if you want to start selling tickets for the chili supper uh, or get involved in some other way. Uh, So let's have a word of prayer and as we uh, gather together now, opening our hearts to the word of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to gather together, to hear your word, to gather at your table, to experience your grace. We ask that you fill us now with your spirit, that you open within us hearts and minds and just persons that will be able to hear and react, to hear your voice in our lives as we continue to make decisions, as we continue to seek your will. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Our reading tonight comes from the book of Kings, uh, 1 Kings, that's in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with that, it's about kings. So, it's good stuff. 1 Kings chapter 12, if you have your Bible or Bible apps with you, uh, the first 14 verses. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all of Israel had come to make him king. When Jeroboam, Naboth's son, heard the news, he returned from Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. The people sent and called for Jeroboam, who along with the entire Israelite assembly went and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our workload very hard. If you lessen the demands your father made for us and lighten the heavy workload he demanded from us, then we will serve you. He answered them, Come back in three days. So the people left. King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was still alive. What do you advise, Rehoboam asked? How should I respond to these people? If you will be a servant to this people by answering them and speaking good words today, they replied, then they will be your servants forever. But Rehoboam ignored the advice the elders gave him and instead sought the counsel of the young advisors who had grown up with him and now served him. What do you advise, he asked them. How should we respond to these people who have said to me, lighten the workload your father demanded of us? The young people who had grown up with him said, This people said to you, your fathers made our workload heavy, lighten it for us. Now this is what you should say to them. My baby finger is thicker than my father's entire waist. 
So if my father made your workload heavy, I'll make it heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with scorpions. Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam on the third day, just as the king had specified when he said, come back to me. Then the king answered his people harshly. He ignored the elders' advice and instead followed the young people's advice. He said, my father made your workload heavy. I will make it heavier. My father disciplined you with whips. I'll do it with scorpions. God bless the reading of that word today. We'll figure out what that's all about here in a second. I know you're wondering. I welcome you to New Life once again, and I welcome all those joining us online at www.findnewlifeumc.org or on our podcast. We are in the fifth week of our game plan series talking about God's will. Now, part of this looking for God's will, looking for God's game plan in our life is asking sometimes this question. Maybe it's a question you've asked. God, send me a sign. Have you ever said that? God, why won't you just send me a sign? Why won't you come down? Tell me exactly what you want me to do. Now, every year, dozens of people see the face of Jesus in a myriad of wonderful objects, in a cloud, in a stain, in a slice of toast that's landed butter side down, on a potato chip, even Justin Bieber. There are sightings that people have seen the face of Jesus on him. He has two Jesus tattoos for your older folks. Didn't know. All these sightings then are turned into signs. Jesus must be with me because I've seen his face in a potato chip. Jesus must be with me because I saw his face on a beer bottle. I'm not making this stuff up. This is, you can Google this stuff. Now we may not claim that, but sometimes we do look for coincidences. And we make those coincidences into signs. The lotto is at $40 million on my 40th birthday. God must want me to play. I just got into this brand new Corvette. And as soon as I looked, I was just going to look at the, at the dealer. And as soon as I got in, my favorite Chris Tomlin song was playing. God must be speaking to me, telling me to buy this car I can't afford. Is that how God speaks to us? Is God such a mysterious force that God has to use potato chips and other food items or random stains to show us God's will? Now, over the four, last four weeks, we've been trying to answer this one question, God, what is your will for my life? And we've dealt with some general, generalities, some specifics, but tonight I want to talk about our day-to-day lives. How do we know what God's will is for the decisions we are making today, tomorrow, the next day. How do we know where we are going to go to school? How do we know who we're going to marry? How do we know if we're going to change jobs? How do we know how we're going to spend our money? How do we know what God wants us to do in the face of the decisions we're making right now? Should you look to a burning bush? Should you look to a Doritos shaped like the Virgin Mary? I didn't, I had some Doritos today. I didn't see any that looked like the Virgin Mary. Should you cast lots? That's the Bible's way of saying roll a dice, flip a coin. Should you close your eyes? Be very still and quiet and listen for God's still small voice. 
All of those things may work. God may work in all of those ways. God is God. God can do whatever God wants. But there are some more concrete ways that God speaks to us. There are some more real ways that God speaks to us every day. And we need to be able to hear God's voice in that way. So let's say you're faced with a decision. How do you know if it aligns with God's will? Basically, there are three questions. Three questions. Yes, Carol. Sometimes God speaks in some pretty surefire ways. <laughs> His name is Bob. It, you're talking about this guy. Okay, good. 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 Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 And you didn't run away. There you go. I think if you are faced with such decisions, but any decision, there are three basic things you can do. There are three questions you can ask. And and we've already kind of gone over the first two, and I want to spend more of the time tonight on the third one. The first question is, is my decision consistent with Scripture? See, we search for miracles. We want miracles. We want burning bushes, and, and we want God to send messengers and angels. But one of the greatest miracles is the Scripture, the Bible. To think that this book, over the course of thousands of years of human history, has been folded together, has been gathered together, and still exists, and still speaks, and still moves in wonderful ways, is a miracle. You have five or six, maybe, of them in your home. I've got 30 of them in my office. Every day when you read Scripture, you are reading a living, breathing miracle and guess what it says some stuff that might help you in your day-to-day lives and we've talked about that a little bit in the last few weeks the second question relates back to our teaching on god's thumbprints remember we believe that we are wondrously made by god that there are thumbprints that god has placed on our lives those are our gifts our talents so is my decision consistent with god's thumbprints on me does this decision match my god-given gifts and talents? Does the decision allow me to use those gifts or better those gifts? Would I need to rely on those thumbprints to follow this path? 
That's why it's so important, so important to understand what your spiritual gifts are. That spiritual gift survey is going to be on the website <laughs> forever. So you have time. You don't all look at each other because only four of you did it. So I know which ones of you didn't do it. But you have time. And some of you know what they are already. Use other resources. That's okay. But that's why it's so important to know because if you know where your gifts are, you can generally know where God's will is leading you. So that brings us to our third question. And it's an important question. It's a question that's going to help us kind of answer some more specific questions in our lives. And it kind of brings these three questions together. Is it consistent with Scripture? Is it consistent with God's thumbprints on my life? Now, I'm not going to answer the question. Actually, King Rehoboam from our story today, he's going to answer the question. And in this story, we're going to hear this third question and how important it is to understanding God's will specifically for our lives. So we read today the story of King Rehoboam. If you remember your Bible history, King Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, King Solomon. He was wise, although for supposedly the wisest person in, in the world, he had a thousand wives and concubines. Doesn't seem like the best decision to me, but that was his call, I guess. It did get him into trouble. But he built the temple glorious kingdom of Israel. His father, King David, united the tribes of Israel together. The 12 tribes united them together as a nation. So this is Rehoboam. King Solomon died. Rehoboam's his oldest son. He grows up. He's ready to be king. And as you can imagine, being king is not easy. So in the first few days of his reign, Jeroboam, who has a very similar name to him, oddly enough, comes to him and he was one of his father's enemies. And so he comes to him with the whole assembly of Israel, the entire nation, representatives from all 12 tribes. And they say this, Rehoboam was sent to Shechem where all had Israel had been come to make him king. He ascended the throne. When Jeroboam heard the news, he returned from Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. Then the people sent and called for Jeroboam who along with the entire Israelite assembly went and said to Rehoboam, your father made our workload very hard. If you lessen the demands and lighten the workload, then we will serve you. So Jeroboam comes back with all the people and kind of makes this treaty, kind of offers this, this uh, treaty. If you lighten the workload, we will serve you. Okay, this is the deal that we're making. If you, you know, let up a little bit, we will serve you willingly and you will be our king. Okay. Rehoboam then does something very smart as we go to verse 5. He's answered them, come back in three days. That's a very wise thing to do. If you are faced with an important decision, it's sometimes good to give yourself space. Sometimes we don't have that, but if you do, take some time. Now, he didn't have forever, he three days. That's still a timetable, but he gave himself a little bit of space. Then he makes another good decision. He consulted with the elders, the advisors, who wisely served his father, King Solomon. That's a good move. Get the wise people around you, and you ask them, what do you think I should do? And they said, well, if you speak nicely to them, they will probably serve you forever. That was their advice. Sounds like pretty good advice, doesn't it? 
Okay. Unfortunately, King Rehoboam ignores the wise elders and calls his high school buddies. Right? That's what the Bible says. I don't think we're in high school together. We really have high schools. But his, you know, the kids he grew up with, he calls them together. You know, Biff, probably one of them. I mean, these you can imagine the kind of guys that he's calling together who grew up in the palace with him. And he says, well, what do you guys think? Their advice takes a little different direction. Young people who had grown up with him said, this people said to you, your father made your workload heavy, lighten it for us. Now this is what you should say. My baby finger is thicker than my father's entire way. So if my father made your workload heavy, I will make it heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with scorpions. That seems like less good advice. So Rehoboam has a decision, right? He has a decision. He has a few days. Am I going to listen to the voice of the elders? Am I going to listen to my buddies? Whose advice am I going to listen? Who will he listen to? I want to stop. You already know what happens, but I want to stop before we get to the end of the story. And I want to ask you the same question. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? When it comes to important decisions in your life, when it comes to the things that you're asking, God, send me a sign. Who are you listening to? Because here's the thing. The people you are listening to will give you a pretty strong sense of where you're headed. Let me put it another way. I'm going to emphasize it here. The people you listen to are a preview of the future you. The people you listen to are a preview of the future you. Here's an example. When Jennifer and I did marriage counseling, we went to a, like a place, an Interfaith Samaritan Counseling Center, actually, so we did a whole workshop. And one part of that really wonderful workshop was uh, a time with an older couple who had pretty much been through it all. Uh, a very wise, older married couple who had been through ups and downs and everything else. And, and of course, there was a lot of good advice had given and everything else. But I, really, the, the point of that exercise, the point of that exercise was to help young couples realize that when things are tough, you need to seek the guidance of your elders. Not necessarily in age, but people who have been there already, been through the ups and the downs. Now, I've dealt with people, and and certainly we all deal with people who struggle in marriage because every single marriage struggles because, you know, men say stupid things mostly, I think. But, you know, I mean, truthfully, we're human. We make mistakes, and so our marriage has trouble. Unfortunately, in my experience, when things get rocky, sometimes we don't listen to the right people. If your relationship is in trouble and you're listening to single friends or divorced friends, or worse, nobody. That's men tend to have that problem. We listen to no one. And if you listen to no one, guess where you're going? Nowhere. If you're listening to people who are having problems in their relationships, you might be headed down the same path. Let's be more specific. (laughs) You have a decision to make 
today. There's a timetable in front of you. Whatever the decision is, the question is the same. Who are you listening to? The answer to that question will likely show you where you are headed. Now, you might think I was just being a little judgmental there. It's not really judgmental. It's discernment. If you are struggling with your finances, do you go and seek the advice of other people who are struggling with their finances? Or do you go to an expert like Dave Ramsey? Or do you go to someone who's been through it? If you are struggling as a parent, do you go to someone who doesn't have kids? Because they do not know, do they? You go to someone who's been through it, who knows what you're going through. You seek wise counsel. That's discernment. I can't, I'm not saying you can't be friends with all kinds of different people. You should be. But in specific situations, looking for specific answers, you should go to the people who are the wisest counsel, who have made it, who have done it. This is likely where you're going to go. So what did King Rehoboam do? Well, we know. The people returned. He listened to his buddies. He said that weird thing about scorpions. Seriously, I, he should have really realized that at that moment. The whole scorpion thing should have thrown him off. Wait a minute. But, but hear, hear what he says. He literally says the exact same thing his friends told him to say. He doesn't just say, yeah, I'm going to make your workload heavier. I'm going to be a mean king. He says it verbatim, word for word. He quotes his friends. Literally, the people he listened to were the future him. The people he was listening to became himself in the future. The advice he listened to was what happened. It was a preview of what he was going to say. It was the wrong answer, sadly. And if you keep reading, I encourage you to read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. That's a good time. First and Second Samuel, that whole chunk. That's a good time to read that. Should make a mini series about it. Be really good on HBO, maybe. It's kind of racy, so it'd be good. It is. It's good stuff. But you can imagine it did not go well for Rehoboam. Jeroboam was not real fond of his answer, and so there was a civil war. The kingdom was split into north and south. Rehoboam, king of the north. Jeroboam, king of the south. A few years pass. The northern kingdom is destroyed. A few years later, the southern kingdom is destroyed. Kingdom that King David built, that King Solomon cemented, the temple that King Solomon built, destroyed completely by Babylon. Israel exiled. One bad decision. One bad decision. One wrong decision when he could have listened to the right one, when it was right there. Yeah.
I'm pretty sure there's uh, political individuals who are in this similar situation uh, currently and uh, will be in this situation. Who are they listening to? <laughs> what voices are they listening to? Yeah. So the third question is, is my decision consistent with wise, godly counsel? We need to surround ourselves with wise, godly counsel. A couple weeks ago, there, there was a situation, of course, at uh, Sherland that um, I briefly spoke of a couple weeks ago. Uh, just a, a kind of a strange situation, and it definitely needed some counsel. And so I did not just rely on the individuals there at Sherland, which I certainly could have. They're wise, godly people. But I looked outside, and I met with a group of clergy friends, and I presented them with the uh, situation. And then I went to specifically individuals who I knew had been through similar things. Individuals who I trusted, who I knew were godly people. And we talked about that. And when all of the decisions, when all of the answers, when the responses came together, a situation that kind of was ambiguous to me when I was approached with it, became fairly clear. And that's generally how that works. Sometimes when things seem very confusing for us, when we get together with a group of godly wise individuals, the answer is actually pretty clear. Because sometimes we don't want to hear the answer. Sometimes we make it too complicated. And so we need to have voices around us. I try to do that in a lot of decisions. I try to surround myself with people who are giving wise counsel. I do that personally. I do that for the life of this church. I've done that throughout the life of this church. Because it's not just about what I think. It's not just about what you think. It's about all that we've learned and all that we've been through and all that we've known. And people have been doing this for thousands of years. The church has existed for 2,000 years. It terrifies me that there are so many religious traditions, Christian traditions, that just throw out tradition today. That they're so focused on this or that or the other thing that they just deny 2,000 years of Christian history. Sometimes we don't got to recreate the wheel. Sometimes people have been asking these questions before, and it's somewhat arrogant of us to think we're the first people who have ever gone through any of this stuff. So we surround ourselves with a great cloud of witnesses, but also with good, godly device. So if you want to hear God's voice, if you want an answer, if you're looking, if you're struggling with a decision, if you're trying to find the right answer, if you're going to be, because even if you're not today, you're going to be approached with one at some point in your life, probably sooner than later. If you are looking for that answer, I think these three things are pretty simple. Three questions. Is it consistent with Scripture? To answer that, you need to know the Bible. <laughs> Thankfully, we're going to be starting a series called Making Sense of the Bible following this series. So that will work real well if you're not up on your Bible. Second, is it consistent with God's thumbprints on my life? If you don't know what those are, I have prepared a very nice tool for you. And Jeff and I are giving those back to you if you submit them online. And then is it consistent with wise, godly counsel? Seriously, I, God loves you so much that God has given us this playbook called the Bible, that God has given us words written thousands of years, God's nature, the nature of humanity, answers to everything. 
God loves us so much that God has imprinted us with unique talents, with special spiritual gifts. And God loves us so much that Christ created this thing called the church and filled it with wise, godly people so that we wouldn't do this thing alone. So that when we were in trouble, we could say, hey, church, hey, formation group, hey, brother, sister, what do you think I should do? And I believe if you can answer those three questions, honestly, if you can really dig into those three questions, you will hear the voice of God. Amen. Let's respond to that good news. God who is not mysterious or distant, potato chip God, but God who is desperately involved, longingly involved in our lives. By praying the prayer that his son Jesus Christ taught us, it will be on the screen in its traditional language. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us now into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's join together in a time of praying for those who are not here. Uh, praying for God's will in our lives. I invite you after communion, of course, uh, fill out a prayer card, light a candle, and just to honor or memory of someone, just to invite the Spirit again into your life uh, or invite the presence of someone else here into your life tonight, the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. Uh, I, I do want to celebrate, take a moment of privilege, I suppose. Um, sadly, Jennifer can't be here tonight. Her and Selena are down in Maple Park. Uh, this weekend while we were on vacation, one of Jennifer's uh, friends, uh, her buddies, <laughs> um, died and uh, had been struggling with cancer and uh, did pass away. So the memorial service is tonight. So Jennifer and Selena are down there. But uh, Jennifer and I did have court this week. And the good news uh, is after three and a half years of court, um, the parental rights of our children's parents have been terminated and it is moving towards adoption. So... That is the celebration. That being said, there is an appeal process, which most likely will happen, um, and it's long, So, uh, and there's a process for adoption, so we still need your prayers and consideration because it, it's not like next week the adoption will happen. Uh, it's going to be six months or so. Um, so but we are, we are in the home stretch, uh, and we feel good about that. So thank you uh, for your prayers for um, Jennifer and I and, of course, uh, the children. Let us pray together. Uh, I will end, uh, offer a prayer, offer you a moment of silence to reflect upon it. I will end with Lord in your mercy and you will respond. There we go. Let us pray. Father Almighty, we pray for your will to be done in our world. We pray that you show us your will for each of our lives. We pray that you show us your will for our vocation, Lord, in your mercy. We pray that you show us your will for our families, Lord, in your mercy. 
we pray that you show us your will for our finances. Lord, in your mercy. We pray that you show us your will when dealing with one another. Lord, in your mercy. We pray that you show us your will for our congregation, new life. Lord, in your mercy. God, we pray that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're going to collect uh, our offering for the work of our church. As we do, I'm going to invite uh, Charmaine from Just Goods to come and share about their ministry. Uh, I want to uh, let you know they have uh, goods out there, uh, but want to come and invite you to share about what you do and how we can support it uh, and what you're doing to uh, change lives in our community. Please come forward, and I, none of the wireless microphones are up there, are they? Okay, Jeff's bringing down a microphone. Um, while Jeff's bringing down a microphone, I will say, you can go ahead and, and collect offering. Um, I will say that, uh, I was going to remind Jeff to bring that down before, and I did not do that. That's my fault. Uh, we did have our paper angel closet um, this week. We had our regular appointments this week. Uh, and we were able to help, I believe, six individuals um, this week. So that's a, a blessing and uh, meet some new people and uh, get them goods they need. We're going to be uh, continuing to build relationships with our schools and our um, homeless youth as we uh, continue to expand that. So uh, I will let Charmaine speak. I hear that Stan Campbell has been here before. Is this on? Oh. <laughs> and... He has spoken about fair trade. Well, Just Goods was started by Rockford Urban Ministries. It is located at 201 7th Street in Rockford. And uh, they just put solar panels on the building. They're going to be having a concert for that soon. And that helps pay the utilities for um, Just Goods. But what is fair trade? And I'm sort of going to tell you just a, a real quick what fair trade is and free trade. Uh, fair trade does not have a specific description, but it is an organized social movement and market-based approach to alleviate global poverty and promote sustainability. So when we talk about free trade, it's governments and corporations making contracts and agreements with other governments and corporations, multi-corporations, for the profits of those governments and corporations. Free trade is between people. So um, I'll talk about Christopher, who has his little organization in Lake Geneva. He had worked in Ecuador for many years in education there, and he saw the poverty among the people and he organized the people in this community to make items that they had. Not factory produced, not where this person is making lots of money as the CEO, and then we've got the people down here making a little bit. It's cooperative in the community where they work together. They can go home. They know they're not going to pollute um, the water because they're working there, and they live there. They want to make certain that they have good quality um, living situations. Maybe the women can take items home. 
in um, one of the things they make there in Minga, and I just looked that up today. His company is called Minga. Minga is uh, an indigenous word in Ecuador that means communal work for the common good. So they call the people to have a Minga where they're going to work for the common good. And that common good can mean working to put um, a sewer system in or to build a school. They make items out of what they have, and here's some earrings made out of tagua nuts. They have trees that grow the tagua nuts, and so they use items that they have available. And that helps the poor people there. There's one warehouse in Lake Geneva that Chris gets the items, and then those go directly to the store. The people get paid without having to wait for you know, like there's a Lowe's warehouse here in Rockford, but they get things from all these other places. And then all of these other people are getting paid, but the person who made it doesn't get that much. So fair trade is to help people at the bottom. Another one is um, Pilgrim Imports in Thailand, and they make little copper, we've just recently started getting these at Just Goods. It's copper, brass, and nickel. No lead. They know that lead will pollute their work area. So they make items. And this has helped bring a community out of poverty. They've been around for 30 years, and um, their warehouse is in Milwaukee. The people get paid. The item goes to Milwaukee, and then fair trade stores buy, buy those items. Another uh, for fair trade is the bean project. Now, this is a local, or it's uh, in the United States, it's in Denver, and it helps to train people to get their lives back together. We're talking about how we can make bad decisions in our life. Some people have done that. They end up having um, no home and have lost all their money and no hope, and it helps them to restore their lives, let them learn that they're worthwhile and that they can um, have a job and learn job skills because maybe they never even knew job skills. So fair trade has some stipulations to it, it's to help poor people, marginalized. Um, it has to be transparent. So the books are open so they can see how much money is spent, how much money uh, goes into it. Not that somebody's taking a whole bunch of money and somebody's not. It's long-term relationships. So Chris with Minga has been working with him. He started working in... Um, the 80s, I think, in Ecuador. And he's been having his company now since 1997. But he helps the people say, maybe we should sort of change what we're doing that's not selling. He keeps working with those people, not like Walmart who says, we just need these for Christmas. And next year, we're going to have them make it because they can make it cheaper. So it's a long-term relationship. Um, good working conditions, it empowers children. 
doesn't mean children don't work, but children do still go to school and families can help keep their children and not have to send them out to be slaves or work somewhere else. So that's basically what fair trade is. And uh, we have items for sale from the store. How many of you have been to Just Goods? Oh, good. So we bought a few items today, and I guess we're going to stay for dinner, too. Does anyone have questions, or you can ask during dinner? cash <laughs> gold gold okay so credit and cash will work perfectly thank you well I encourage you to uh, talk to our guests uh, over dinner get to know them and the work they're doing uh, and also to uh, look over the items and take some home uh, and if you can't do that tonight stop by the store and uh, invest in fair trade uh, as we need to invest in a lot of things uh, for justice, not only in our own lives, but in our world. Uh, and we have a, a fervent commitment to justice, not just for us, uh, but for everyone in our world and for our planet, I should say. So thank you both very much for doing that. Well, let's move to uh, the Lord's table, speaking of justice, and uh, join together in an act of confession as we do. Just coming wherever we are, because sometimes we do make bad decisions. Uh, sometimes we do hurt ourselves and others. Uh, sometimes we don't spend the energy that we need to to invest in things that are making a positive impact in our world. But we come reminded that Jesus Christ died for us anyway, that we have grace and that we can be made new. So let us join together in this act of confession. I'll say the stuff that says pastor. You say the stuff that says congregation. Recognizing that we all sin and are at the mercy of God, we take this time to confess our sins and be assured of the forgiveness that is available to us all through Christ Jesus. Loving and forgiving God, our life is in Christ, but we struggle to focus on that truth. You are alive in us in the Holy Spirit, but we struggle to let your will guide us. Forgive us for all we have thought, done, and said. Forgive what we have failed to do or say. Renew us to new life in your kingdom. Hear this good news. God, who created all things, also loves and forgives. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. We come to the table practicing an open table, meaning that if you are desperate for a relationship with God and one another, you are welcome at this table to affirm the inclusive nature of Christ's table. It's not mine or yours or anybody else's. It is the table of Jesus Christ. We use gluten-free elements and grape juice instead of wine. As we come to this table, we give thanks to God who created the heavens and the earth, who created you and me, and who wants to have a relationship with each person here tonight. We come as a community, not just with those tonight, not just with our brothers and sisters in the United Methodist Church, but with all brothers and sisters who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and 
all of those who have been and all of those who will be the great communion of saints. We come not just as individuals, we come as Christ's body, the church. We also come in remembrance. By that I mean we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread like this. He gave thanks to God and given it to his disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this. Remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup. He gave thanks to God and given it to his disciples. He said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you meet in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these mighty acts of our Lord Jesus Christ, we just offer ourselves as holy and living sacrifices on Christ's table as we come to prepare. And we relate the mystery of our faith, although we don't quite understand it. We affirm it and we try to believe it and have faith that we believe it every day. I'll say a line and you repeat it. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We come expecting and experiencing one of God's means of grace. A way in this time and space that God can come into uh, into action into our lives. That we can experience God's love in our lives this day. So we pray this prayer. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon all those gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and wine. Truly make them be for us your body that we may be your body, the church, redeemed by your blood for this world and the next. Make us one as you are one. Make us new in your spirit each day. Amen. And finally, we come with the anticipation of things to come. We come as we come to this table hoping to experience a foretaste of what life will be like when we feast in Christ's heavenly banquet. And so as we come to the table, I remind you, the band will be invited to come first. I'll call the communion servers. The band will be called, you know, invited first. Uh, and then uh, row by row, come down single file. Return your, to your seats. Feel free to go to the prayer station, to the baptismal font. And then return to your seat to meditate and to uh, move towards our time of praise. So I invite you to the table, reminding you that this is Christ's body, broken for you. That you may be Christ's body, the church. And this is Christ's blood, shed for you, for your forgiveness, so that you may have new life today and always. Will the servers come forward? The table is set. Come and eat.